God is the creator of life. A Bible says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I stepped you apart. Jeremiah 1.5 For you created my envelope's being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works is wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you, but now it's made in a secret place. And that it's woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days were gained for me, for it's written in your book, for one of them came to be. Psalm 139, 14 from 16. For I know the plans I have for you, cares the Lord. Plans past for you, for not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Jeremiah 29, 11. Well, this morning, we're going to spend our time celebrating the sanctity of human life. And we are going to speak out on behalf of those that cannot speak for themselves. Now, you know, on the topic of abortion, there has been much written, much discussed, much argued, much litigated, (laughs) and there's stances on both sides of the fence. The arguments range from the woman's right to do whatever she wants with her body, the rights of the father, the government's role in all of this, and then sometimes it seems last, the the rights of the unborn child. But regardless of of what side of the argument you fall on, whether it's pro-life or pro-abortion, is there is really one issue that's at the core of the disagreement. There's one thing that is smack dab in the middle that separates both sides. And it's this simple fact. Is the fetus a living human being or not? It is as straightforward as that. It is simple as that. Now, those that are pro-choice or pro-abortion, they will argue that the fetus is not a human life. And they'll state that case and make that case because the fetus is not able to survive outside of the womb. And because it can't survive outside of the womb, it's just a blob of cells, that it doesn't have any rights. But even some on that side of the argument will concede that at 28 weeks, when it's given a 95% chance of living outside of the womb, that, okay, it's human life at that point, since there's a 95% chance. But not at 23 weeks, not at... 18 weeks, 
And when you look at these images on the screen, there's not a whole lot of difference between 18 and 23 and 28 from a physical standpoint. Most of it's internally developmental, the brain and the lungs and the heart. But somehow magically from this point of view, that this living being with a heart beating is not a human being. And that's what pro-life or pro-abortion, I'm sorry, pro-choice or pro-abortion will argue. Now on the other side, those that are pro-life believe in the bottom of the heart with the core of who they are. That that fetus, that that baby is a living being at conception. And they should have the very rights to life that you have and that I have. And this is the position of our church. And this is the position that I hold to personally. And we do because we think God's word is very clear on his care of the unborn child. But before we look at his word, why don't we ask God to lead us through this sensitive topic so we can see what he has to say. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Dear Father, we thank you for your love and for your kindness. And Father, we ask you to speak to us, regardless of what side of the argument we fall on, as we focus on what you have to say about the unborn child and your care of it. Father, please open our eyes and open our hearts. Father, lead us as we seek to understand you better. Father, we ask for these things in your son's name. And everybody said, amen. Let's take out your Bibles and turn to Psalm 139. We're gonna read the verses as that little girl did in that video. Psalm 139, we're gonna look at verses 13 through 16. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place. Now get this. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now this is the strongest statement of God's prenatal care in all of the Bible. We see right here that, the, that, that God knows everything about that unborn child. It says he weaves together the child. And what that means is he, he's placed his arms placed the legs, set the heart beating, placed the eyes and the nose and the mouth and the ears, 
God intimately involved in all those details. Every little detail of the creation of that baby is in God's control. And according to this this passage, right, it's clear that God makes babies. You can't deny that. He weaves them together. And he did that with a vision. And he does that to create you and me for a purpose when we look at this. And we see this spelled out in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, when, when, when we see this is where the Lord gives Jeremiah his calling to be a prophet to the nations. He says, the word came to me, right? Jeremiah speaking, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. It says I knew you. The Greek word used for knew there is the word yada. Y-A-D-A. And that word connotates an intimate knowledge, a close personal relationship. And it says, I knew you. It's not a, a head knowledge. It's not, I know that chair's there. No, it's this intimate knowledge between God and his being that he has created and placing inside of that mother's womb. And not only did he create it, but he created it with a purpose and a plan for Jeremiah. It was to be a prophet to the nations. But he does the same thing for each one of you. He knew you before you ever took a breath and knew that you were going to be a school teacher, that you were going to be a firefighter, that you were going to be an accountant, that you were going to be a salesperson, that you were going to originate mortgages, that you were going to be a plumber, that you were going to repair cars that you were going to be a principal of a school or you were going to be a homemaker. God knew you. And he created you with a vision. That's what we see in this verse. So we see that God's created babies. We see that God creates them for a reason and a purpose for things that he has planned for them to do. Now let's look at this third verse which, which really, I think, starts to speak to the nature of God's care of the unborn, whether that living being is really a human being or not. And we see this in the story of Mary and Elizabeth interacting with each other. And if you remember, we just went through this story at Christmas time. Right? Mary became pregnant with Jesus, and she went to Judea to visit with Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was unexpectedly present. Who was she present? Pregnant. Who was she pregnant with? John the Baptist. So you got these two pregnant women coming together, interacting with one another. We see this in Luke chapter 1, verses 41 to 44. Luke chapter 1, verse 41 to 44. Listen to this interaction. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting... 
the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is a child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. The baby in my womb leapt for joy. Here's what's important we can't miss. Is the word that's translated baby is the Greek word brephos, B-R-E-P-H-O-S. This Greek word brephos is the same word that is used elsewhere in scripture to to describe infants, such as in Luke chapter 18, verse 15, when they brought brephos, they brought infants so Jesus could touch them. It is the same word. And the use of this word demonstrates the biblical understanding that the unborn child is fully human. But yet, there's one more verse. We're going to look at Psalm 51. And it's a little backstory. Psalm 51 was written by King David. And at this point in his life, King David had, had, um, had an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba and trying to cover up that relationship. He had her husband Uriah, who was a, a leader in his army, killed. It became uncovered. The prophet Nathan challenges him on this. And then David is just wrecked. Right? He knows he's treacherous. He knows he's awful. He knows he's full of sin. And this Psalm 51 is just David pouring out his heart to God saying, God, I am nothing without you. And what I want to do is look smack dab at verse 5. Psalm 51 verse 5, David writes, Surely I was sinful at birth, right? He's talking about his brokenness. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Guys, this is clear as it gets. That this passage right here that David establishes, God establishes through David, David, the humanness of the fetus, because why? Guilt is attached to it. I was guilty from the time I was conceived. And we know in looking at scripture, there's only two beings that can be guilty of sin. Human beings and angels. We like to think it's our dogs and cats. Human beings and angels. So David is clearly saying that I was tainted as a human at conception. Humanness ascribed to the fetus. Not at 28 weeks, not at 23 weeks, not at birth, 
but at conception. So I feel strongly that when we look at these scriptures and others like Isaiah 44, 2 and Colossians 1, 16, that I can only come to one simple conclusion today. And that is abortion is wrong. That abortion is a sin. It is simple as that. I know of no other conclusion to draw that is consistent with the Christian faith. God makes babies. God intimately is involved in weaving them together, setting the plan and course that he desires for their lives. He creates them, and we shouldn't kill them. That's the truth. Now for those that are pro-choice and pro-abortion, I simply ask you to consider these voices, these verses, to read these verses, to pray over these verses, to let God speak to you through these verses so that you can come to a complete and full understanding of God's love, of God's care, and God's commitment to the unborn. And my prayer is that you will come to an understanding that they are God's children, a living human being from the moment of conception. I pray that God speaks to you through those verses. Now for those that hold to a pro-life stance, this nightmare started on January 22nd, 1973, the day the United States Supreme Court handed down its decision on the infamous Roe versus Wade case. And by a decision, 7-2 majority decision, they declared the shedding of innocent blood a constitutional right. And that started the Holocaust against the unborn. And since that time, nearly 59 million lives have been ended unnecessarily. And that assault continues today with nearly 3,700 abortions committed every day. Norma McCorvey is the row behind Roe versus Wade. In 1969, at the age of 21, she found herself pregnant again. And she sought an abortion in Texas where she lived, but because of the strict law, she couldn't get one, and she could not afford to get to one of the other six states that offered them for very specific reasons. She couldn't find an abortion, but she did find help in a young attorney named Sarah Weddington. And this young attorney was looking to make a name for herself, looking to get ahead. 
and she convinced Norma to lie and to tell the courts that she was raped. And that lie worked. And with that 1973 ruling, the Supreme Court not only overturned the abortion laws in Texas, they overturned the abortion laws, anti-abortion laws, in all other 50 states. And you know, oddly enough, by time this all unraveled over the course of those four years, Norma gave birth to that second child. She got pregnant a third time and she gave that child up for adoption. The truth is, Norma McCorvey never had an abortion. So this means the very case that overturned all the abortion laws was based on a fabricated lie by an attorney looking to get ahead. 59 million lives have been lost because of a lie. And these facts are gut-wrenching. These facts and numbers seem overwhelming, so much so that they could leave you discouraged. It could look like the battle is so big, we might as well just chuck in the tile, consider it lost, and ship his kind of sailed, and just accept it as the new norm. But I say, don't jump to that conclusion too quickly. Because when we take a closer look at that number, inside of those numbers, I believe there's room, and I believe that there's hope found inside the numbers. See, the number of abortions peaked in 1990, right around 1.6 million per year. But get this. In 19 of the past 25 years, the number of abortions has dropped from 1.6 per year down to just over a million per year. That's a 37.5% decrease. And get this, last year, the number of abortions dropped in every state but two. Can we praise God for that? But I think we know there is still much to do because one life lost to abortion is too many. And we cannot rest until it is illegal and impossible to get an abortion in our country, in our state, and in our city. Right here in our backyard in Allegheny County, there were 6,100 abortions performed last year. That's 17 per day, and that has to stop. Now, our partners, Human Coalition of Pittsburgh and Choices Pregnancy Center out in the Robinson area are making a huge difference locally. Last year, Human Coalition saved, God worked through them to save 230 babies. That's a 36% increase over 2015. And get this, 107 of them were saved through the mobile unit, which happened partly because of your generosity. And here's what you can't miss. Here's how it's turned over the years is 95% 
of the clients that they get to engage with are abortion-determined women coming to get the sonogram so that then they can go get the abortion. They're abortion-determined women, the hardest of hardest cases. And for this improvement to continue, year after year after year, we've got to be involved until the day that we can stand in a city, proudly stand in a city which does not offer an option for abortion. We gotta be involved, right? This is a crisis. We have to act with a sense of urgency. We can't sit on the sidelines passive. It's not the time to speak through silence. It's a time to, to speak up on behalf of those that can't speak for themselves. Eli Weisel was one of the Jews who survived the Holocaust. And later in life, he won the Nobel uh, Prize. And during his acceptance speech, he said something pro, so profound, it, it, just, it, it just resonates with what we have to do in this battle. He said, I swore never to be silent whenever and wherever human beings endured suffering and humiliation. We must take sides. Neutrality helps oppressors, never victims. Silence encourages tormentors, not the tormented. And scripture tells us the same thing. The verse that so many women cling to is kind of the, the mantra for, for what, what you're supposed to be as a woman is what? Proverbs 31. Smack dab in the middle of that scripture, we find verse eight. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and of the needy. So in a day when the killing of babies has not only become tolerated but accepted, the church of Jesus Christ, the Bible chapel must stand up and must speak out for those that cannot speak for themselves. And I just want to share just a very few practical ways that you can be involved in this fight, this war, this holocaust that's just taken place. So I've shared with you the past couple weeks, one of the ways is right in front of us. It's January 27th to be part of March for Life. We're going to send two buses out of here at 5.30 in the morning to head to Washington, D.C. to be with a couple other, other 100,000 people to let those politicians know what we think about Roe v. Wade and that it needs to be overturned and repealed. Speak out to participate in the baby bottle campaign. This is one of the largest fundraisers that our partners have and it enables the funds to provide for the staff to operate the mobile unit, to engage these abortion-determined women one-on-one, to look them in the eye, to show them a, a picture of what's growing inside of them, God's handiwork. But it's more than that. 
It's, it's coming along and walking side of those who've had an abortion, who, who have suffered the loss, and walking through them in a continuum of care to help them to deal with the grief and loss. And then when they keep the child, when they make a decision for life, that we can walk with them after to teach them skills, to teach them how to be a parent, to teach them how to support themselves when everyone that they know in their life has turned their back on them. And let's go back to where the very problem starts, an abstinence. And I got you guys here from senior high sitting up in the back. If you don't want to deal with this issue of abortion, practice abstinence. You won't have this life-changing decision to make. That's where it starts. And our partners are empowered to go into schools and to share the truth about abstinence and birth control. Those, that's what those funds are used for. That's why you should pick up a baby bottle and put checks in it instead of coins. To partner to help. We need to commit to pray for them, to pray for the staff and the clients Here's some very practical things that Human Coalition, and I'm sure the same thing with the Choices Pregnancy Center. Right? They need a volunteer receptionist to work a couple hours a day, a couple days a week. I know somebody here can do that. Is to go and, and, and be a childbirth instructor, to organize donated clothes and donated diapers, to work on events committee, to help raise funds, to be a medical assistant, to help with filing Guys, there are many ways for you to play your part and to not be silent, but to join the efforts to protect those that can't protect themselves. And we've got to work together to combat the lies that besiege the abortion industries that is driven solely by profit. I said earlier, the whole foundation of this case, which overturned all of this, was based on a lie of an attorney looking to get ahead. We looked at scripture and saw that the central argument, why they argue to have and allow an abortion is because it's not a human life. Well, God's word says it is a human life at conception. It's another lie. And let me share one more lie with you. And for those who have had an abortion or who have encouraged one, this lie cuts deeper than them all. Because in the process, someone somewhere looked you in the eye and told you, don't worry. We're going to take care of this mistake. It'll be past you in a few days and you'll get on with your life and the plans that you had for yourself. And if you've had an abortion, you know that that decision is not far behind you. The hurt The pain, the guilt, the shame, the disappointment never seems far away. And the what ifs 
of that child's life run through your head at will, wondering where he or she would be right now, what they would be doing. Would they have a family? That decision is going to be with you for the rest of your life. Because it can't be forgotten. But you know what? God's word tells us it can be forgiven. Because listen to me. Abortion is not an unforgivable sin. It's not. Abortion is not an unforgivable sin. First John chapter one, verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do you see what that says? If you confess your sins, you will be forgiven. There's no qualifier. It doesn't say if you confess your sins except abortion, you will be forgiven. If you find yourself here, know that God, the creator of the universe, stands ready to forgive you. If you find yourself here, know that we stand here ready to walk with you through that hurt and through that pain. If you find yourself here, know that our partners stand ready to help you process the feelings and the guilt that need to be dealt with. Because here's what I know for sure by reading and studying God's word, that pain pain and guilt can be replaced with God's love and God's forgiveness. You are not defined by your sin. None of us are. Not the person that had the abortion. Not the gossiper. Not the murderer. Not the slanderer. Not the adulterer. Not the pornographer. None of us are defined by our sin. God's word tells us that. Psalm 103, verses 11 to 12, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so as far as he's removed our transgressions from us. On Isaiah chapter one, verse 18, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be washed as white as snow, 
though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And that forgiveness that comes through knowing Jesus Christ is your personal savior. That we know in him that we are forgiven, right? Our sin, our past, the things that we've done, they do not define us. Just as is the, the, our job position or where we live or the car we drive doesn't define us either. You see, our identity is in Jesus Christ. Not the mistakes we made in our past. Why do we do this for ourselves? We understand what God's word says. He separates us as far as the east is from the west. But yet we pick it up with us. And we take it with us. Like it defines us. Like we wear it on our neck like a badge of honor. Like the scarlet letter. God doesn't see it anymore. Our identity is not in this mistake. Our identity is smack dab Jesus Christ. Our identity is in him. It's in him that we find our significance because we are adopted as his sons and daughters into his family. That our future is secure in him. That we know that we're gonna spend eternity in heaven with him because we've trusted in the sacrifice that Jesus paid for us. That we are accepted for who we are as people, as broken, as messed up as we are. Right? Romans 5, 8. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us and accepts us. He's the one that wove us together for a vision and a purpose. We're forgiven of our mistakes, past, present, and future. And get this, we are empowered with the Holy Spirit living inside of us. That's who we are in Christ. We're set free of the bondage of the mistakes that we've made to be the people that God's created us to be. And that comes through the sacrifice that Jesus Christ paid for you and for me. And that's what we celebrate with communion. In just a minute, the elders and the ushers are going to come up at each of our campuses. They're going to pass out the communion. And if you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ, we're going to ask you to take the elements and to hold on to them. And I'm going to challenge you to, to pray about the sin that seems to let, let itself define you. If you haven't placed your trust in Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to, to let the elements pass. Nobody's going to notice and nobody's going to care. But I am going to tell you, I'm going to ask you to let God speak to you because I can tell you right now, I don't care where you've been and I don't care what you've done, God loves you just the way you are and he wants a relationship with you and maybe today is the day that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And we're going to do something a little bit differently this morning. As you hold those elements, as you let God work on your heart, I've asked the worship team to come out and sing a song. And I just want you to listen to these words and let these words fall on you. 
so you can get to this place in your life that for once and for all, you can lay down the ashes of your past at Jesus' feet and move on with strength and courage, lifting his kingdom on high and letting your kingdoms crumble. Father, I ask you, as we celebrate your life, the sacrifice of your son, Father, that you work on our heart, that you give us the courage to lay at your feet those things that burden us. Father, whatever it is, as we hold these elements, I ask you to take them from us and set us free to do the work you've called us to do. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.